Welcome to Rob and Tony's Cinematic Adventure. I'm Rob Wilson. And I am Tony DeQuano. So Tony, this time we're going to do quite possibly the greatest Batman movie ever made. Coming straight out of Batman the Animated Series, we've got Batman Mask of the Phantasm. A continuation of the series, or rather a branch off of the series, that is officially a part of Batman the the Animated Series. Starring, of course, Kevin Conroy as Batman, the best Batman there ever was. And Mark Hamill's Joker, the best Joker there ever was. I'm sorry, all you uh, Heath Ledger fans out there. (laughs) Heath Ledger was a fantastic Batman, or fantastic Joker, don't get me wrong. He was a fantastic Joker. But to me, Joker will always be Mark Hamill. Just like Batman will always be Kevin Conroy. And if Jarrett Leto is your favorite, then um, you can just stop listening right now. <laughs> I second that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. But hey, we welcome the Cesar Romero heads. Yeah, I fully will endorse you. That's fine. Endorse I mean, they endorse, but I fully can understand that and get behind it because this is iconic and he's the first out there. And that's what you cut your teeth on back when you're eight years old in the late 60s. More power to you. Yeah. The man who refused to shave his mustache to play the Joker. So he's <laughs> painted over it. <laughs> uh. I think, you know, that's the funny thing. Like, you know, obviously, like, there's Adam West. And, you know, his, his, he's iconic in his own way mm-hmm. but I, I don't know i think it's Cesar romero and like burgess mirror that this kind of like stick out to me from the 60s yep, yep. they're iconic in their own way and yeah they they really helped define those batman villains at that time but uh but yeah kevin conroy though hands down my absolute favorite batman and many people's favorite batman yep when i read batman comics his voice is the one that i hear in my head right yeah no um, and, you know part of that could be I think in some ways, because the aesthetic to the animated series really kind of fits how I view what Gotham City should look like. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> it's, so it's got it, that noir look, but also kind of modern, but still kind of like 20s and 30s. And it's just a, yes. a, a great amalgamation of so many things. And it works. Absolutely. And, you know, so I could fully understand how that's what you're kind of growing up with. That's kind of where, like, oh, yeah, I read any Batman comic now. I hear Kevin Conroy as Batman or as Bruce Wayne, right? Yeah. And that that's the thing. Kevin Conroy, he – so he, he, uh, he made Batman and Bruce Wayne two completely different characters. Yes. Like, they had different voices. And what I loved about it was he made basically Bruce Wayne's actual voice was more or less Batman's voice. And the Bruce Wayne voice was (laughs) a fake voice that he did. I mean, Batman's voice at times was a little little bit gruffer than his actual voice. But but yeah, the Bruce Wayne voice was he, he, you know, raised the pitch a little bit. So it was clearly Batman disguising his voice to be Bruce Wayne. I always think the, other that's way around. the tricky thing when, when you get into the Batman portrayals, and I'm, I'm not going to really uh, take a dig at any of them. Uh, I'm not going to mention Batman and Robin, so <laughs> <laughs> just say nipples. And uh, yeah. anyway, but although there were there were there were bat nipples in Batman Forever, also yes, <laughs> they're just more prominent in Batman and Robin. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's always. How to strike that balance of Batman and Bruce Wayne? How do you pull the two together? And you know, there's all there's plenty of debate about. Oh yeah, so and so was a better Batman. So and so was a better Bruce Wayne. He's the best as a whole. 
Yeah, and Kevin so, Connery nailed it. He nailed Batman. He nailed Bruce Wayne. I think, you know, he was coming in at a time, too, where I think voice work within animation was getting more respect as an actual craft, right? You know, you know it's like you think about, like, Robin Williams being genies around at that same yeah. time. Yeah. And, and how much acclaim he was able to get for that. And then it was kind of at the same time as, you know, this new golden era for the Disney animation. When you look at Little Mermaid and Lion King and Reading the Beats, Aladdin, as you're saying with you know, Robin Williams. So, you know, he came at the right time and was able to pull it off really well and sell it and really get the appreciation for it. Maybe it took, a you know, it was obviously favorite of a certain segment for a long time. And I think now, as we've gotten older, it's helped rise more of that to prominence as being the best Batman. Oh, yeah. To actually put it in that conversation. Yeah. I mean, not only is Batman, the animated series, my favorite version of Batman, but it's also my all-time favorite TV show. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I, ever since it came out in 1992, I, I watched it every day after school. Mm-hmm. And uh, in 93, when Mask of the Phantasm came out, it was actually, it was monumental because it came out in the theater. It wasn't just yeah. a straight-to-video release. They released a yeah. movie that was part of a cartoon that was, you know, on after school. They released it in the movie theater. Yeah, that was bold. Like, in my understanding, is like, originally they thought maybe they would do it when they first started conceiving it, that they were going to maybe do it direct-to-video, and mm-hmm. it's like, you know what, no, we're going to go ahead. It's going to be a theatrical release. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, folks, uh, we will be talking about the entire movie, beginning, middle, end. <laughs> so spoiler alert, if you have not watched it and you don't want to be spoiled, then please pause the podcast, go watch it, come back and continue listening, unless you're a fan of Jared Leto as Joker. <laughs> uh, but if you if you don't mind spoilers, then uh, keep on listening. And okay, fine, fine. Jared Leto fans can come in and listen too. That's I mean, uh-huh. I, I, I don't, I don't dislike Jared Leto and everything. It's just I don't, I didn't think he was a very good Joker. He was a good Joker. Um, yeah, I, I like Thirty Seconds to Mars. You know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One day, maybe we might do Requiem for a Dream when we want to get really depressed. Yeah, maybe. But yeah, I was just looking at this. So yeah, Fast and the Phantasm opened on Christmas Day, nineteen ninety-three. That's right. It was Christmas Day, wasn't it? Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. Before we before we get uh, really into the meat of the movie, uh, I, I, I you say I, you know a, a few years ago I had the privilege, the honor of meeting Kevin Conroy at mm-hmm. uh, Planet Comic Con in Kansas City. Okay. And uh, he was a cool dude. He was he was really really cool dude. Um, you know, we chatted for a minute or two about how great Batman the animated series was. You know, got his autograph, got my picture with him, all that stuff. But I walked away from there kicking myself because I didn't tell him what I wanted to tell him mm-hmm. and that, uh, you know, all my life I've been, you know, trying to wanting to do voice work, voice acting, you know, stuff like that. Yep. And watching Batman after school every day, hearing Kevin Conroy do Batman and Bruce Wayne as completely different people. And yeah. all that, I mean, I was in second grade when the show came out. <laughs> yeah. And I noticed it then, you know, and, and he was, it, it was, it was because of him that I, that, you know, my desire to get into uh, to voice work okay. really started. Yeah. So I, I uh, was kicking myself after meeting him because I didn't tell him that. Yeah. I wanted to go back up there and thank him for, for you know, uh, igniting this fire in me to do stuff with my voice. Yeah, that makes sense. And 
Yeah. So if any of uh, if any of Kevin Conroy's family or friends happen to be listening to this, I just want you you all to know how much I appreciate what he did and how big of an impact that he had in my it's life. It's good to see you know hear different stories. There's a pal. Just kind of in almost innocuous ways. Yeah. Just people influence others. I mean, really, without if it wasn't for for Kevin Conroy, this podcast wouldn't exist. So. So thank you to, uh, and I, I wish I could thank Kevin Conroy himself, but sadly he passed away not too long ago. Yeah. But yeah, so so thank you to Kevin Conroy and to all of his uh, family and friends who may have who may be listening to this right now. I, uh, there aren't many celebrities, many you know people in the entertainment industry that uh, have really affected me the way that Kevin Conroy has it had okay. that big of an impact on my life. Yeah, no, I mean so. people inspired the acting, the singing. You know, a variety of things. So, but, do you know he was in an episode of Matlock? I think I heard that somewhere. Yeah. You know, he did a bunch of, like, TV stuff in the 80s Then before he kind of got yeah. the voice work. Then he finally got his live-action Batman debut in the uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover. Yeah, I am so behind on the specials. Like, I finished that, and I have not gotten back into it. It's all the COVID messed a lot of things up in terms of some of that. I liked seeing all the different Batman references and Supermans. They actually pulled all that off really well. I was yeah. kind of impressed. <laughs> I enjoy a lot of CW stuff. Uh, but, you know, it, it, again, you know, the, the production rate's not always as high, but they're, they pulled that off. No, I mean, it's a TV show, so they have a certain budget they got to stick to. Yeah. I mean, CW shows don't typically have a movie budget. Nope. They're, it's not It's not <laughs> Disney+. Plus. Uh, you know, it's... Sometimes they were really scraping the bottom of the barrel for their guest actors. Yep. <laughs> uh, Smallville, we're looking at you. <laughs> Fantastic show, though. I love Smallville. We love Smallville. We're but, not talking about Superman. We're, yes, about we're not talking about Superman right now. But yes, Smallville is is one of my favorite shows. So. Yes, we, we, it had some bad, some really bad guest stars. But part of that adds to the charm of it, though. <laughs> it is. Yes. <laughs> but back to Batman. So interesting thing about the animated series. I don't know if they were still doing it at the time that Massive Phantasm came out, but I know mm-hmm. for at least the first while on the show, they had certain rules that they had to follow. Like Batman could never appear during the day. Yeah. You know, Batman is always at night and stuff like that. But in order to get the look that they wanted, okay, that dark, gritty, noirish look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they actually uh, for the first I think couple of seasons of the show they uh, actually used black paper. Interesting. And and drew everything on that rather than using white paper and coloring it black. I think uh, as animation techniques improved as the show went on, they switched from black paper. But I know for a fact that at least for the beginning of the show, and quite possibly while it was still because. Mass of the Phantasm came out a year after the show started. It came out in '93, so they may have still been using the black paper for that. The, the look is so spot on. You know, like I was saying, like, it just fits kind of the mood I want Batman. Uh, we talk about, you know, it does a good job blending things. And, like, you know, I respect what, like, Tim Burton's Batman, you know, his Gotham, so to speak. Um, and we know we can, we'll get into that because we'll definitely do Tim Burton's Batman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it is well worth. Yes. It, it's funny how it's, it's actually funny how that one's now being re-looked at again. It's kind of funny. Yeah, thing. especially Keaton, with, with Michael Keaton being in the new Flash movie. Yeah, I think, you know, he's getting another look again, which is good. I, I liked his own interpretation on that. Yeah. Praising Kevin Conroy does not mean that, or not dissing 
again, no. any of the other Batman. Yes, exactly. Every every Batman has their own merits. They they all did well in their own way. But I mean, just like any character that has multiple actors playing them, everybody's gonna yeah. rank them. They rank them. You know, yeah. everybody's everybody's um, gonna have their own ranking the of who did who they thought did the best. And you know, and same with you know just the movies themselves. I liked how they're able to switch in and make it a longer TV episode. Exactly. Yeah. Movie. Yeah. Uh, it was essentially it fits perfectly with that. Yeah. It was essentially and, three episodes. I would say it's like a three-part episode. Yeah. It completely fit the feel of the show because it was a part of the show. It yes. wasn't like one of those ones where they, they it's a movie spinoff of the show that doesn't actually connect to the show at all. It's actually yeah. a, a part of the show. So if you're and, going through, if if you're going through and watching the entire series, you have to watch the movie. Yeah. You have to watch it as part of it because it is part of the show. What I like about it as kind of like if you think about it again, because it is like a three part episode, you could just kind of play how some TV shows are done today. Like, oh, yeah, it's a three part event, right? Yeah. Which could make sense because they do big events in comics. But I like that. Oh, yeah, it's not one of the main villains. I mean, one of them comes in, but yeah. I like how well, they're able but to he doesn't bring come in. until later. Yeah. He doesn't come like, until later in, it's in like the movie. It's it's over halfway it's over yeah. halfway through the movie until Joker comes in. Yeah, I mean and, it, it even at that, you know, obviously he's fully the Joker, but he's still like not the main antagonist, which is great. And and we see normally I'm not a fan of Joker origin stories. Because Joker's not yes. supposed to have a defined origin. Right. No. But in, this movie, I mean, it shows just a little bit of who he was before he was Joker. Right. At least in this world, in the, in the Batman, the animated series world, but it, do, it doesn't show how he became Joker. It doesn't, you know, any, anything like that, but it shows uh, his kind of his life before the Joker. Yeah, no, I was and, thinking the same thing. I like the way it. that they did it because it, it reveals just enough, but it doesn't take it overboard. Yeah. You know, it, it alludes to it in somewhat, you know, Obviously, Tim Burton's Batman very heavily goes into it. Yes. But it kind of sticks in a little bit with some of the comic stories, but just in very big ways to still allow the mystery of connecting the dots on it. So I like how they kind of, you know, we with within that, too, because you kind of have within the aspects where you're still kind of getting, oh, yeah. You've seen the Joker, but it's really prior to him really becoming the Joker. You're still seeing scenes of Bruce as Batman really before he's Batman. Yeah. Yeah, you, <laughs> you see you see what happened that made him become Batman and not just some vigilante. Yes. Because, you know, we all know Batman's origin story. His parents were killed out in the alley behind the theater in Crime Alley. And, you know, they were killed right in front of him. And he vowed right then to never let that happen again. So he trained for his whole life to become Batman. But yeah, the movie, you know, Master of the Phantasm, it includes several flashbacks yes. to the beginnings of Batman before he was Batman, when he was just a dude who put on just a ski mask, didn't wear a cape, nothing like that. He had a utility belt, but that's about it. Trying to stop criminals and you kind of see the mistakes that he made in his early days that prompts him to design his suit the way that he does, you know, to add a cape to make it look like a bat because people aren't afraid of him when he just jumps out in the ski mask. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, he needs that theatricality and that ability to instill fear in the criminals so that they're distracted and he can take them down easier. But it introduces some some characters that aren't in any of the show otherwise, that, yeah. that, that aren't in anything that's not this movie. Really, it introduces his true love interest as far as the show goes. Yep. Andrea Beaumont. It's different, you know, and yeah. 
always caught me down. The one that got away. Bruce Wayne, like different than like Clark Kent, like that, right? Clark Kent is as low as long. But Bat- Batman iterations, it's very different. Yeah. I mean, it comics wise, I mean, the, the closest that Batman's ever, you know, had to a, a soulmate would probably be Catwoman. I mean, there's yes. Talia al Ghul, but that was more of a one sided relationship for the most part. Who, um, by the way, Dana Delaney. Yes, Dana Delaney voice. The Andrea voice Beaumont. for Andrea Beaumont, who people that don't know, and actually, you know, she had a bit of success prior. China she, Beach. And and speaking <laughs> of uh, Lois Lane, she also voiced Lois Lane in Superman, the animated series. Yes, that's right. As in, but at the time, she would have been known for China Beach. I don't really know much of I just knew of the show. But then later, she ended up on Desperate Housewives. Yeah, she was in Tombstone so, also. In Tombstone, yeah. So she was kind of a notable character actress, so to speak, in the 90s. And again, you just, it kind of speaks to what I was speaking earlier of getting more recognized names within kind of some of these um, cast for animated movies. Yeah, and, and but, I thought it was great. The douchey congressman, yeah. <laughs> Arthur Reeves, <laughs> played perfectly by Hart Bachner, a.k.a. Ellis from Die Hard. But yeah, no, uh, I thought a, that was great. <laughs> as, soon as, Arthur Reeves. as soon as I heard that voice, uh, yeah, yeah, this is perfect casting for that character. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, then we, we get the uh, the legendary Abe Vigoda. As we forgot about Abe Vigoda. As, uh, as yeah. also Stacy Keach. Yes, Stacy Keach also. Stacy um, Keach as Carl Beaumont and the voice of Phantasm. The voice for the Phantasm. I mean, it's yeah. absolutely perfect. But Abe Vigoda was Sal Valestra, the uh, crime boss. Definitely some some amazing talent in this movie. Amazing voice talents all around. Um, That's not also beginning like uh, Bob Hastings as oh, yeah. Commissioner Gordon, and you know his his role in this is a little bit less than times within the series, but got to give him a shout out. Yeah, but again, those who maybe have you know the uh, Batman series from the sixties is their favorite. Might also Mikhail's Navy do the regular in that some hundred some episodes. Yeah. And of course, Robert Costanzo as, as Bullock. Bullock. Bullock, who who he also played uh, Joey's dad and friends. That's right. I always like the portrayal of Bullock in this series. Yeah. And and we <laughs> also can't. Yes, me too. Uh, yeah, he's always I mean, been one, one of my, my favorite characters. Favorite Batman characters. Yep. Just, you know, it's uh, I I love you know, and then you get a little bit within the movie. Just I always love the back and forth between him and Gordon and. Uh, Gordon's always right there by Batman's side. You know, he's he's backing him up all the time. And Bullock is very skeptical of Batman. He doesn't think that they should be uh, rewarding his vigilantism. Yeah. No, no Batman the Animated Series discussion would be complete without some appreciation for Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. He was amazing as Alfred. Yep. So many good Alfreds. I mean, I, yeah. I feel like any of the Alfreds, they, they, they just they do it so well. You know, Michael Caine, obviously, is someone that yeah, most people probably know more recently. But he said Everett Zimbalist was also very, very good. And he's very prominent within this one. So, I mean, he he's is. a crucial role. You know, I, I kind of like... It's actually it's a good point, because we're talking about how Andrea being, like, the one that got away. And there's, I always like Alfred when you kind of see that really, like, that fatherly side of him. Yeah. The Batman. Yeah, you really see it in the flashbacks in this one. And I love when Bruce proposes to Andrea and then she sends the ring back. And we haven't seen that part of the story yet, so we don't know why she sends it back. But she sends it with a note saying that she had to go to Europe with her dad and she doesn't know when she's going to be back and she can't marry him. 
that's right after he made the decision to give up on to to drop his quest to avenge his parents' death after begging at their uh-huh. grave to give him an out. Yeah. And it's just a, a really powerful scene mm-hmm. when he's standing at their grave begging in the rain and he doesn't think that he's going to be able to give up on it. And then Andrea's standing right behind him and he decides right then that, that he's going to give up this thing that he has dedicated his life to to be with the woman that he loves. Which is so, all the more reason why it's appropriate now having seen some of the Joker prior to being a Joker. Like, it's completely, you know, really ties that in well. And, like, even in ways he doesn't understand about why arch nemesis. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, uh, but, but yeah. So when, when she sends the ring back, you can see it in the animation. You can, you can hear it in Kevin Conroy's voice how pained Bruce Wayne is at that point. Because, I mean, not only is he losing the woman that he loves, the woman that he was going to spend the rest of his life with, but he's also realizing that, at least in his mind, he's failed his parents. Yes. Because he gave up on his quest so that he could be with this woman that now he can't be with. So that moment, the next scene, right after he gets the, the ring back, when he's in the newly discovered Batcave, and Alfred walks up, hands him his cowl. And then he, yeah. he stands there and looks at it for a second in his hand, and then he puts it on. And you don't see him with it. You don't see him from the front. You just nope. see Alfred's reaction. And you just see this surprise and fear and also pride in Alfred that Bruce finally stepped up and accepted his mission. Yes. And, you know, you see him. You don't. You still don't see him from the front, but you see him walking. You see his silhouette as he walks toward the door from behind. Right. I always kind of wonder, though, when, again, it's hard to talk about especially I think Batman in particular about different iterations and how other people portray characters within the series. Like use another example from DC. There's been a bunch of Superman's, but Christopher Reeve is the standard. Yes. <laughs> Everyone yes. knows that Gene Hackman is the standard as Lex Luthor. Yes, absolutely. And a bunch of other people have done fine jobs portraying those characters but they're the standard. And in some ways, you almost don't even try to do the same thing, right? But, you know, when I look at, you know, like, I think, like, Michael Caine is Alfred. You know, like, I haven't looked that deeply in there. Like, how much did he kind of, like, oh, did he watch a bunch of animated series? that kind of, like, figure, like, okay, how is Alfred thinking about Bruce Wayne, right? You yeah. know, he's caring for Bruce Wayne as his young kid. And then he also cares about Bruce's parents. And they're, they're murdered. Right. And all of a sudden he's like a single dad to this boy. It's his charge. There's a lot going on within that. Right. And so when you get into those moments like that, you know, like, yeah, you know, like, because they touch within this within, like, you know, at least with Ron Kane's character, understanding this pride within the name of Wayne, but also within Bruce himself. And so, like, yeah, did he watch a bunch of that to kind of get an idea of, like, oh, and I guess that's part of the aspect of it. Like, I think. Certain Batman's, you know, you know, Alfred's there and he shares personal stories, but the script doesn't dive deep into that relationship between the two. No, no, it doesn't. You know, the Nolan Batmans, they do. Yeah, they do. And um, I mean, arguably. And the animated series does it also. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, again, I get, you know, it's week to week, so you can do that, but they play it up a lot within the movie. Yeah, they do. I mean, 
with the entire anime series and especially with Phantasm, you know, Alfred is a true member of the Bat family. You know, the, the Keaton movies and the Schumacher movies, they pretty much just made him Bruce Wayne's butler. Yes. You know, he, he would go fetch things for him. He would prepare his suit. He would do butlery things. <laughs> and not much more. You know, I mean, yes, he was a, a beloved member of Bruce Wayne's extended family. Yes. But they, they didn't really do a whole lot with the character in those movies. But in Phantasm, they absolutely did. They they just continued what, what they had already established of him in the series. And I love that the Dark Knight trilogy really expanded on Alfred also. Yeah, you get kind of like a little Alfred backstory, <laughs> especially like Dark Knight. He's talking about some guys still on rubies and, and it, we will do dark we'll do the entire yes. nolan trilogy yes we will eventually eventually this is the only eventually. batman movie we're doing at the moment we aren't going to be I, doing I'm, another one right after this one we're going to be doing something else after this one but big 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 fan of the nolan trilogy himself yes huge big fans of, of massive fantastic big i'm actually a big fan of tim burton batman too which is completely yeah. we'll get yeah. there even the most recent yeah, batman the, too uh, matt reeves batman and there's actually, and you know, we you kind of have to bring it up because, like, it definitely was inspired by animated series. This. If if you look, okay, so if you look at the logo for the Batman for the Matt Reeves one with Robert Pattinson, it is the same color scheme as the animated series. Yes, the red on black. The red. Yep. It's also it, more or less the same font. Yeah, and they both. Clean, like you know, yeah. I mean, you could tell, like the the, the ripping off of that. I mean, it's because, a similar. Like, it's not. It's maybe not the exact same font, but it's very similar. Yeah, I had it up earlier. The especially if you look series. at. Uh, so I've got the steelbook for the Batman, and I've also got the limited collector's edition of the animated series, yeah. Blu-ray. And looking at those, looking at the spines of those, they look almost identical as far as the writing. Same shade of red on black. Yeah, there's the red. Like there are two of them. Around. You also get that ones in times where you have him standing on the building, and they got he's got the lightning strike going mm-hmm. on behind them, right? Mm-hmm. Now Batman, Matt Reeves. Let me look at the fonts. Let's see the fonts. I hadn't thought about the font. I thought about the color scheme. Uh, that's all images there. Yeah, but this is the red. Yeah, I can see that. And it's funny because like again, there's this basic font because like both go really deeply into the detective skills of Bruce Wayne or Batman. Yeah. And they're both heavily influenced really within the criminal underground element and corruption. Yes. And I mean, they get, you know, obviously the Noel news actually do that too. I shouldn't say that because Falcone is like a major part. Yes. But Batman begins and Maroney's yeah. and yes, it, it, it uh, definitely Knight. goes into the organized crime element and just the crime in general. And, uh, element. You know, Tim Burton movies, they, they have that too. They, they do. They do. I mean, in it's, own, it's in their own way. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's there in in all the movies, really. I mean, I get, get, I get Penguin, Penguin's there, but yeah. the, the focus is very different with these two. Yeah, and, but uh, even the even the Nolan Batman movies, though they yes, they focused a little bit on his detective skills they, on they, his they, on him yeah, being the world's greatest detective, but it it didn't yeah. it didn't show a lot of it. The Dark Knight's probably the one that showed the most of, say, of the it, one of the, the trilogy. Dark Knight, especially when he's analyzing the bullets. Yes. Um, but yeah. other than that, it, it really doesn't show a whole lot of his being the world's greatest detective yeah. in that, tr- in that whole trilogy. Like, it's detective comics. Yeah, which is <laughs> what I absolutely loved about the Matt Reeves Batman. Because yeah. that, that movie, it was like his being a detective was in the forefront and yes. the rest of being Batman was kind of in the back, like behind it. 
it really focused on his his mm-hmm. on the fact that Batman is the world's greatest detective. And that's what I love about the animated series, because, yeah, there's there's the episodes where he just goes around and beats up the bad guys and delivers them to Gotham PD. But there's also tons and tons of episodes that focus on his detective skills. And and that's that's continued in Mask of the Phantasm. It doesn't just show one aspect of Batman It shows everything. It shows Batman from all angles. It shows his badassness. It shows his heart of gold. It shows him hurting. You know, mm-hmm. it, it shows it, it shows him suffering and it shows him what's winning. What's crazy about this, too, is that, like, you know, it, it dives deep in a lot of that. And it's like, you know, it's obviously darker. It's got more mature themes and it's something that's aimed at kids. And yeah. it's like without going over a line where, yeah. like, parents would say, like, oh, you shouldn't watch that. Yeah, it, it was back when right? a kid's show could appeal just the same to the to the parents who were watching it with their kids. Yeah. Where it like nowadays with a lot of kids shows, they're strictly just for kids and they drive their parents crazy. (laughs) Um, But but yeah, that's back in the day when a kid's cartoon had had more adult themes, you know, to sort of help prepare the kid for what's coming in life without being too overt about it. Totally. You know, without scaring the kid out of wanting to grow up. Well, you know, I guess, you know, I guess there's a certain aspect of that, like, you know, I understand people are probably, you know, doing this, you know, probably older Gen Xers that kind of understood some more of that difficulty of broken households. And so, like, very different. But what I like about it, too, is, as you say, to bring in all these different strands in is if you would just show someone Master of the Phantasm. Maybe they've seen the Batman movies. Maybe they haven't, right? But they haven't seen the animated series at all, right? Mm-hmm. They could show them this, and they would still be completely engrossed and not be like, oh, what's going on, right? It's basically, you know, it's a, a movie from a TV show, but you don't need anything else from the TV series to fully appreciate the movie. Um, yeah, it can act as a standalone viewing experience. But, you know, we got into, let's might as well get into a little bit more to be at the plot. Yeah. So some mysterious being is going around and killing the heads of the different crime families, right, the different so mob we'll bosses. About that, how it um, really gets into the organized crime aspect. Yeah. And so this is we, we mentioned Stacy Keach. Stacy Keach voices this figure. He does great job. Yeah. So Stacy Keach. Yeah. He he voices the phantasm. It it sounds yeah, now. It's, you know, Bruce Wayne is fully Batman when we're seeing these yeah. sequences. Yeah, in the you present know, day. Cut in and out between yeah. the flashbacks. Yeah. We have we kind of have the idea of the flashbacks that have happened. Where but, yeah, where the, the phantasm the shows up, this is the present day. So Batman is in his full battiness. You know, he's been Batman for about 10 years at this point. And we mentioned earlier that, you know, that Gordon is, you know, they have the famous bat signal, obviously. So, He's got friends in the police department, but then he's got people like, you know, Baller like, no, I don't like this guy. He's a vigilante. So the Phantasm is going around, you know, in the shadows with a little smoke machine, and he's he's killing these these mob bosses. But, of course, everybody thinks that it's Batman because he's in the shadows. He's at the scene. Well, I mean, he's breaking up like a meeting of some of the bosses, Mm -hmm. and then the Phantasm shows up right after that. Yeah, in the parking garage. And kills. Yeah. Kills the guy. And then he disappears, and people see Batman in there, and they assume Batman's responsible. 
when really the only people that know for sure that it's not Batman are the ones that are about to die. And then, you know, they're yeah. dead after that. So they can't really tell people that it's not Batman that's killing them. But yeah, so go through there. Then we have. Is the, uh, what we talked about. No, that was, that was, the first one was Chucky Saul. Yes. That was the mob boss, Chucky Saul. But then we got Buzz Bronski, one of the other mob bosses, when he goes to yeah. uh, the I cemetery. Love I love that. He goes to the cemetery. That, that's done so well. Yeah. And like, part of the reason why everything works well, I think, is because it is animated. They can make it work so much better. Yeah. I think. That I, I don't know how that scene with Buzz would work as well if it was live action. Yeah. Because, I mean, Buzz is in the. I think it has to at, be with it, has to be animated. And he's at Chucky Saul's grave, and Phantasm shows he's got up. He's got his bodyguards there. Yeah, he's got his bodyguards there. Phantasm shows up, chases him a little bit, gets Buzz away from his henchmen, and then he falls into an open grave. And as he's trying to claw his way out, all of a sudden the giant tombstone tips over and flattens him. You, of course, don't see it fall on him because it's a kid's show. Of course. But you know he got crushed by that thing. And it's convenient <laughs> that he was already in a grave. <laughs> Very convenient. Then, once again, his henchmen think that it was Batman. So Bullock, of course, is uh, is all over trying to catch Batman, whereas Gordon oh, yeah. is giving Batman the benefit of the doubt. There's just so, especially that cemetery scene, is just so well done. <laughs> it is. Because, I mean, you don't, you don't realize that Buzz fell into a grave until it pans out. No, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, until it pans out and he stands <laughs> up and there's dirt all around him, like dirt walls on all four sides of him. Yeah. And he's trying to claw his way out. But it, it's too deep and, and he can't reach the top. Yeah, it, 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 it's good stuff. And, you know, and then at this point, like you're saying, like, you know, the highway guards kind of see the phantasm. And they just leave it to Batman. Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, at this point, there's not really anybody else that dresses anywhere similar to Batman and right, creeps around in the yeah. shadows and is actively going after members of the mob. So, I mean, it's it's completely logical that they think it's Batman. Right. You know. And, they think that he just, you know, you know broke his no-killing rule. Yeah, I say, like, Gordon brings the point, like, no, Batman doesn't kill. But, like, yeah, you can see someone say, you know what, maybe he snapped. He decided, you know what? I'm probably going to kill these people. Yeah. Maybe you know, he turned into Ben Affleck. Maybe a reasonable assumption. <laughs> <sighs> yep. Uh, That's the thing I didn't like about uh, the about anyway, Affleck. Yeah. It, it, it just, it, Batman's not supposed to he actually murder people like Batfleck that, but. Wasn't that bad no. as Batman? No, no, he wasn't. But he wasn't. Some no. of the other stuff. Yeah. He wasn't a terrible Batman. He had his his good things about it. You know, he had his merits. And I, I don't know if it's if it's so much a an Affleck thing or if it's a Zack Snyder thing with the whole Batman murdering people left yeah. and right. But yeah, I, I wasn't a fan of the whole murderous Batman in the Snyder movies. You know, they did some with Superman too. Yeah, that, anyway. uh, yeah, that's that's a whole nother discussion. Um, we're not gonna touch. I mean, I mean, the Burton Batman he killed too. The Burton Batman killed people too, but not as yeah. blatantly as. <laughs> not as blatantly, and one of them he just stepped forward, and the guy yes. just missed him. He pulled through a hell tower. Yes, <laughs> I mean it was that guy's fault. <laughs> he should have timed his jump better. Yes, should have timed his jump better. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
Uh, but we'll get to that. And movie. He's not got time to jump. Well, he should have, you know, at least decided to land it on a more stable platform. Yes, we will. We'll, we'll discuss more of uh, more of Bell Tower Man <laughs> when we when we talk about the the Tim Burton Batman. <laughs> Anyway, because <laughs> uh, we will be talking about that movie eventually. And, you know, th- that's the thing, you know, saying, you know, it's always like, yeah, Paul Patton won't kill. It's the thing that Gordon comes to. He's like, like, no, it can't be Batman. He doesn't kill. He may hurt you. <laughs> He's not going to kill you. No. But yeah, so after these phantasm sightings, then we. Especially after this, the second one with Buzz, like Batman's like investigating. He's again, he's being a detective. Yes. So these guys are his enemies. He's still trying to figure out who killed him. Yeah. Not because he's concerned that he's going to take the you know the rap board. He's trying to no, solve like, the crime. He's trying to investigate what's going on. And yeah, and, and so right around this time, then we learn that uh, this woman named Andrea Beaumont is coming to town. We haven't met her yet, but she calls Arthur while she's on the plane flying into town. And shortly thereafter, there's a party at Wayne Manor. There's a big banquet. Mm-hmm. And Bruce is talking to Arthur, and Arthur brings up Andrea. And that kicks right. off yep. a flashback. And we see how Bruce and Andrea met. Bruce is at his parents' grave, talking to them, and he overhears Andrea at her mother's grave, not too far away. And here's her just talking out loud to her mom, just having a conversation. And Bruce wanders over there and sort of startles her. So then, you know, he apologizes and starts walking away. And then she's like, you know who that was? That was Bruce Wayne. And that gets him turned back around because she said his name. And then they start a conversation. It's sort of a meet cute in a cemetery. Yeah. <laughs> so, so dead parents. Yep. So then, you know, it goes on and we see Batman uh, or we see Bruce at one of his first vigilante moments where he tries to uh, take down some guys that are robbing. Did they ever actually say what building they were robbing? No. But yeah, back when, when he just wore a ski mask and black clothes, you know, black sweater yeah. and a ski mask. And he had some throwing stars. But he wasn't Batman yet. He was still in the early stages of crime fighting. And he barely got out of that scuffle alive. And that's what gave him the idea to instill fear in criminals. Because they weren't afraid of him. So they were giving him their all. So he's he's all bandaged up while he's doing jujitsu in the backyard. Yeah, I love, I love that. Uh, There's a great scene. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Andrea comes by and throws him on his ass. <laughs> and claims that it's because she took a women's self-defense class. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, then they kind of wrestle a little bit, and their relationship grows. Yeah, I think he was going to eventually marry her. As they cut through some of those scenes, it doesn't happen. Nope, their relationship buzzes the point where you know he's willing to give up his mission to be with her. But uh, it's when it doesn't work out. It's when he really assumes the mantle of Batman. You know, we yeah. talked about that. But it turns out her father owes the mob a lot of money. Right, and you know we get into that you know, the things and like yeah, and the, yeah, it's you know uh, it ties into the entire story that we're getting into. Yeah, we're dealing with the mob yeah, is part of those flashbacks. Slowly building in those pieces of what happened. Yeah, part of those flashbacks are Sal and Chucky and Buzz when they're younger. You know, ten uh-huh. years earlier in Salvatore when they when they aren't old men sort of trying to lean on Andrea's dad, on Carl Beaumont, to uh, get him to pay them the money that he owes them. Right, yeah. And there's a very somewhat familiar-looking uh, henchman that's part of the group. Yes, but like his smile. Sort of the uh, the the muscle of the group. That, yeah. And we should say that uh, we talked about Arthur Reeves. He is connected in with this as well. Yes. Because 
he's an aspiring politician and and he was you know, yeah he he was close with uh, with Carl Beaumont and so yeah, he worked with him, and he thought it would help his political career. So yeah, uh, you know, so, yeah. money to run a campaign. Mm-hmm. So you get yourself with some unsavory characters, so to speak. And again, like I think they interweave. They really play those backstories really, really well. In it. They really do. They play it perfectly within how the characters are reacting within the present day in the story. And also, one of the interesting things is uh, so. Andrea Beaumont is one of the few characters that knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Yes. And that's like discovered is that it's when he's investigating Buzz's. Yeah. When he's investigating death, Buzz's right? death. He goes back to the cemetery mm-hmm. and she's back at her parents' grave. And he's and he right? finds himself standing in front of his parents' grave, but he's Batman. He's dressed as Batman. Yes. That's so right. she that's sees right. him yep. and puts two and two together. Yeah. Because he starts acting just kind of more towards how she remembers him when mm-hmm. she saw Bruce Wayne at that grave. So she figures out the mystery. It's always a thing like, who knows Batman's identity? Who doesn't know Batman's identity? So then Batman determines that all these mob bosses work together and worked with Carl Beaumont, with Andrea's dad. Yes. And they're all coming up dead. Everybody that's right. a part of this group, they're the ones that are being targeted. And he has no idea about where Andrea's dad is yeah. at this point. As far as he knows, because he's running around Europe he, hiding. He disappeared. He disappeared with his daughter. And now he just knows that, oh, she's back. Yeah, she's back. But no he, idea about as far as he knows, he's still out in Europe somewhere. Yeah. But there's another gangster of Sabatori that he knows connect with all of it, too. You know, he finds a photograph of them together. Including the, like, uh, the, the somewhat familiar-looking muscle. This guy's laboratory uh, decides a, a very pointy to go note. visit a very famous foe. Yes. The Joker. At the old World of Tomorrow. Yes. At the, you know, uh, the World's I, Fair, you know, the Gotham I, World's Fair. I'm glad he brought this up because we haven't really talked about that yet. Because uh, it's obviously the referencing city of the future. Kind of, obviously the World's Fair. I think it, it does a good job of tying in a lot of the themes they have within the movie. Yeah, because that was one of the places. Great future, and then, but yeah, it's one. Uh, in right, the, in the that future, it's yeah, it's one of the places that Bruce and Andrea went on a date, and it was yeah, back ten years earlier during the flashbacks, it was you know this bright, shiny city of tomorrow, and in the present day, it's all worn down, decrepit, most likely condemned. Yeah, no, totally. And yeah, they, they almost put it off like. We're trying to maybe show that had things gone differently for Bruce and Andrea, things would go differently for Gotham. Yeah. Right? But it doesn't work out. And things go downhill. So now, instead of maybe Bruce being this light to Gotham, Batman has to be kind of the potential hope for Gotham. Yeah. So, because, you know, obviously, like, the mob kind of wins out. And everything tanks, you know, it's kind of a lot of ways to reference a movie that we've done already. It's like the alternate 1985. Right? Yeah, it is. It really the is. Back to the future, right? Yeah. You know, it's kind of bleak and you've got unsavory characters running everything. So, yeah, it's, you know, you got these CD elements rolling things and just not the way things should be, at least with the back to the future, right? So you basically kind of think, like, yeah, you know, what, what happens to them kind of worked out. And, you know, when you look at a lot of the ways that Thomas Wayne is portrayed, 
general. Like he's trying to be this light to the city, and he doesn't quite capture it. And then he's gunned down, and like that's kind of the fulcrum point that sends Gotham into even deeper. But there's this chance now, we even kind of touched on it briefly, like, yeah, maybe Chris does give up this idea of this avenging his parents, Roger. And, like, maybe the two of them together would be the force that should be the good, that is able to kind of do away with the city elements. But instead, that doesn't happen. The mob rule. But within that now, we have this character that was connected has gained his own power, it causes even more chaos. And like, you know, the Dolan Batman's played in this too, right? You had the mob, and then the Joker comes in. And upsets and everything. He is upsets everything, right? And it's this entire idea that, like, Dolan Alfred makes this point to Bruce about how, yeah, no, you can't understand Joker, right? No. Joker just wants <laughs> chaos. And you see it within Phantasm too. Because, you know, once again, we're dealing with Joker and Phantasm. The mob, Played they just want to make a bunch so of money. So amazingly by Mark right? Hamill. You know, the mob just wants to make, they want to make a bunch of money. Phantasm wants revenge, right? You can mm-hmm. clearly see the Phantasm wants revenge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Over something. You don't know what it is. You yeah, you don't know what it is, but, but you know it has something to do with this group of mobsters. The Joker, though, no. His motive is completely different. There really is no motive. His, no, he just right? wants chaos. He just wants everybody to suffer. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Right? Because I mean, he just wants you know, to have fun. Salvatore, you know, he sees all these other mob guys dying. And because he understands, because as you find out, that character in the picture was Joker. Joker. Yeah. He Bruce goes to the realizes Joker. that and, and draws a smiley face, draws a red happy face on him. Yeah. And it's the Joker. So, yeah. No, before he, he became goes, the Joker. He but. goes to the Joker because he knows because Reeves, the corrupt yeah. councilman, right? Arthur Reeves. Won't help him. Yeah. <laughs> So he goes to the Joker. He goes to the Joker because he knows the Joker is the only person who stands a chance of actually stopping Batman. Yeah, because he knows him from the past, and he knows what he's capable of because he's seen his handiwork, obviously. But does Joker help him? No. Nope. Joker Joker gives him a dose of his Joker gas. and uh, Kills him. Yeah, kills him. Leaves him as a trap for Batman. But instead of Batman showing up, the Phantasm shows up. And of course, Joker's watching all this. Yes, yes, he has a camera in Sal's lap. And uh, so, yeah, he sees that it's not Batman that's been killing people, but that it's Which this new character, it's the, the Phantasm. The Joker, this is awesome. New character. Well, he gets, mm-hmm. it's more fun for him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what's, which is why it's perfect. Like, Joker needs to be in this. Like, he doesn't need to be the main, but no, but his yeah, chaos he, is he, absolutely yes. necessary for this. Yes. And that that's part of the... So, Mark Hamill's portrayal of Joker and, <laughs> is so has so many dimensions to it. Yeah. He can turn on a dime between the happy go lucky, just fun Joker, laughing mm-hmm. to serial killer Joker yeah. just in an instant. And his Joker really helped to set up a lot of how the Joker's been portrayed the last, you know, twenty five years since yeah. then. The way Grant Morrison portrayed him, you know, when he wrote Batman to how Heath Ledger did it. And even, you know, Jared Leto's Joker. Yeah, which um, I, I, I still think that, like, my my dream casting for a live-action Joker, David Tennant. I think David Tennant would, I would be an absolute Tennant. perfect live-action Joker. He would be perfect. Because he can do um, all that. He can. He has the acting ability. He's got the chops to, to, made, to really give the Joker what Mark Hamill gave him. He made Purple Man work. Yes. <laughs> Yes. 
Yeah, and, and have you seen the the movie Bad Samaritan? No. Where he plays a serial killer? Uh uh-uh. uh Oh yeah, that, that, he's he's diabolical in that one. He's he's just pure evil in that in it, that movie. It's funny you bring it up. They're like, but I, I could. But then he can also see... play the hero. He can. He he's the doctor. He's the tenth doctor. Yeah. You know, and I could I could almost see in a way if flip this script somehow, like even like Michael Keaton. Yeah, just he could do it too. He to is just unhinged enough to give an interesting Joker. Yeah, yeah. It'd be hard now because he played Batman. Yeah, but there was an unhingedness aspect. To He's got Batman. the eyebrows for it. <laughs> <laughs> Joker could definitely be uh, an eyebrow character. Anyway, you know, <laughs> I, I I like that. You could like, use a good eyebrow a really, uh, actor, especially if you're portraying it a little bit deeper into things, right? You mm-hmm. know, I like that. And it, it, it's funny, it's, it, it's outside the box enough. Like, I mean, like, I mean, when he allegedly got cast as Joker, I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? But he was outstanding as the Joker, you know? He got his ass kicked by Jason Isaacs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he was fantastic. Yes, he was. He blew everybody's perceptions of what they thought he would be as the Joker out of the water. It's just, yeah. he was phenomenal well, he, as the Joker. And he completely is, deserving is of his Oscar. Like, you, you don't get into the switching of the modes that you're talking about with Hamill's portrayal. Yeah, his, uh, his the Ledger Joker was was pretty much he's stuck to the one aspect of the Joker. He's gone he's very totally very well in his psychosis. Yeah, at this point. But Hamill, he plays all different sides of the Joker. Yeah, which is something that I think Tennant could do. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's those different sides. Like I mean, those are the things that kind of ended up being the things that. Ended up defining a lot of Batman for the next ten to fifteen years after that. Yeah, like you know, we don't have mentioned Holly Quinn, obviously, because she, you know she's not in yeah. this. But that relationship, and then you know, there's so many characters within the world of this animated series. Yeah. So James Gunn, if you're listening to this, when you put Batman into the new DCU, <laughs> consider David Tennant as the Joker, please. Anyway, so yeah, so so back to back to Master of the Phantasm. We've, yeah, a, we we took a little detour, but but we're back. So Joker kills Velestra, right? Yeah. And then he's expecting Batman. That's a phantasm. And there's a bomb. He's playing the bomb because he thinks he's gonna. He's expecting Batman, and he wants to go Batman. But Phantasm jumps out the window before the bomb explodes, and so then then we have the scene with Batman and Andrea. Yeah, because she like. You know, the cops are in on all this, right? And they, they're trying to chase Batman because mm-hmm. they think he's responsible for everything. And Andrea saves him. Yeah, Andrea he saves him, takes him back to her, her place. Car and she drives off. And, uh, you know, they're, they're talking. And she leads Batman to believe that Phantasm is her father, which would make a lot of sense because it's voiced by the same guy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they're both voiced by and- Stacey Keach. You know, and from Batman's point of view, like, okay, yeah. It would make like, sense. I haven't seen him. I thought he was near, but eh, no, he doesn't have to be. And, you know, he had all these mob guys after him. So it it would make sense. But then later on, you know, Batman is doing some more investigating and he's back in Andrea's house or in her apartment and finds a locket with a picture of, of Bruce and Andrea in it. And he's in there and gets a message from the Joker saying that there's a bomb being sent airmail. And it's a remote control plane with a big bomb on it flying in toward the window and uh, saying that you can't jump out of the window now, toots. <laughs> and uh, so, so yeah, so Joker obviously knows that Phantasm is not Carl Beaumont, 
but it is yep. surprise, surprise, Andrea Beaumont. Mm-hmm. Because it is revealed that Joker, before he was the Joker, caught up with them in was Europe. A, was a hitman. Yeah, he was a hitman for the mob and found where they were staying in Europe and murdered Carl. Yep. Killed Andrea's dad. And so Andrea came back to Gotham years later to avenge her father's death. And it's real to us the last piece of this. We understand that, oh, Carl's dead. Andrea's back. Is that Reeves is the one that sold out Andrea and Carl. Yes, we, we learned mob. that. Yeah, we learned that Arthur Reeves, Ellis from Die Hard. That's... Is now, the one that, that of course yeah. that is how he Ellis would secure himself. Yes, it is. And that that's how <laughs> that's how Arthur Reeves became a congressman. Because yeah. he sold out the Beaumonts. Like, all right, this is how I'm gonna get my campaign money. Double them out. And he gets dosed with uh he gets dosed with some joker gas. Not a lethal, not a lethal dose. Yeah, not a lethal dose. It's enough of it, to but make him just stay inside Arkham the rest of his life. Yeah. And I, I always thought that scene that it's I just love the scene like he's just laughing the entire time is Batman's there. Yeah, he's laughing, but he's still telling Batman everything that he wants to know, but he can't do it without laughing. And like, he's just laughing hysterically again, all the time. I think that's another aspect of why it works so well as an enemy. I don't, you cannot make that work as well live action. No, thing. no, you can't. There's just some it's things like that... Just the visual of it, but then also just the sound of it, you know, yeah. it's, yeah. I, I don't know. I can't picture how you'd be able to do that in a live action. Yeah. I mean, there, there's just certain things that, that have to be exaggerated yeah. to, to, right. an, extent, to an extent that's, that's, that you can't do it in live action. It has to be animated in order to exaggerate things really the way that they need to up. be. And, you know, they, they play it so well within the scene, how it's drawn, acted. Right? You know, you got this Batman being Batman and then this lunatic. Yeah, it's just, it's just laughing in his face. And to a certain extent, Batman doesn't know what to do with with the situation because he, he can't really <laughs> lean on the guy for information because he's just hysterical. And it takes him forever to say what he needs to say because yeah. he's hysterical. And it's just, yeah, no, it, it, it they pull off really well without a Coke. Yes, without a Coke. We will be doing Die Hard. People. And also and also without a bullet to the face while drinking that Coke. Or a Rolex. Yeah. And without Coke because there is two Cokes. Yes. That Ellis enjoys. Yes, yes, there are two cokes that that, that Ellis enjoys. It was one, the 80s. one he uh, he still has some on his nose, but <laughs> <laughs> the other one actually out the back of his head, probably. Yes, probably because he was. It may he was not. Swallowing it when I think. Yeah, it may not have made it all the way down his throat. But yeah, we'll get to that movie. We'll get to Die Hard. That'll be uh, Die Hard will definitely uh, get the yeah. treatment. <laughs> yes, yes. We'll, we'll get to Die Hard. That'll, that'll be closer to Christmas. But yeah, anyway, so so Batman is putting two and two together and realizes that Andrea is the phantasm. And Which I, just re- I really like that. Yeah. You know, like, at that point, like, yeah, okay. So you have, in terms of, like, female rogues, right? Yeah, obviously, you know, Catwoman. Poison Ivy. Poison Ivy. Harley Quinn. You know, I, I really, really did. Like, it's just like, you know, especially someone like, they did a good job of connecting you first with with Bruce. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, yeah. uh, another another. Um, so for those that don't know, Harley Quinn is a creation of Batman the Animated Series. Her yes. first appearance was in that show before right. she showed up in any comics. Yep. But anyway, I mean that's that's the whole thing with the animated series. Like yeah. it really helped drive everything. It was in the episode Joker's favor. Yeah. 
that was really in a way like even like bane like bane okay yeah so like bane was first in the comics but then they were able to bring him in to the animated series and keep him established as this character within the world and like you know i think when it comes into there's other like raw's all ghoul i think of the animated series and i think of batman begins yeah right you know and i I mean grant like yeah grant morrison gets into him too but yeah it's it's before grant morrison's run yeah so um, and I mean, and animated series is is the closest that Bane has ever come to the comics. Oh yeah, his portrayal totally. in the comics. Yes. Um, you know, it wasn't until Dark Knight Rises that Bane wasn't portrayed in live action as an imbecile. Yeah. <laughs> The, the comics version of Bane, he was very intelligent. He was, you know, somebody who trained his body and his mind to be able to take on Batman. Yeah. Or really to be able to survive Peña Duro, the prison that he was born in. But when he yeah. got out of that, when he escaped the prison, then he learned about Batman and put all of his efforts into defeating Batman. Right. But yeah, he, he's a character that from childhood spent every day training his body and mind to be mm-hmm. at peak efficiency. And then, you know, he came across Venom and not the Marvel Comics Venom, but Venom, the substance, (laughs) Venom, the drug that amplified his strength. And, you know, like in Batman and Robin, he's some idiot (laughs) that, you know, has Venom coursing through his veins, so he's really strong. I I don't know why they did that, because the Bane character is so well done in the comics and so well done in the animated series that I don't know why Schumacher would change him like that. Yeah, I mean the, the the other character like Grant like he technically predates the animated series, but they really bolstered him was the Scarecrow. Yeah, right. You know he became a character within the animated series, and then he was featured in a Long Halloween, which is what yeah, no, which ninety six or ninety seven was that little run, which then became um, one of the main influences for Batman Begins. Right. Obviously, Scarecrow is not in Phantasm, but this should like they do no. the entire series does a great job of pushing forward like because yeah. you think about it, right you know we mentioned like yeah it's 92 is when the series starts so like 89 was the tim burton batman which you know we'll get into this with when we do tim burton batman but for what a little over 10 years right you know you had superman 1977 there wasn't really like another like well superman big, was 78 78 yeah that's yeah. right superman was 78 so, but you had like what 78 89 it, yeah so over 10, 11 years 11 years between superman and batman you know and obviously when Superman became a big hit, like, oh, yeah, I think like, we need to make Batman a movie somehow as well. It took a long time to get there. And within that time, obviously, not having other Batman series, it, you know, you have certain successful runs in the comics, particularly with Frank Miller. Yeah. But you're not diving into these new characters yet, right? So it makes sense. Like, yeah, when the first Batman movie comes out, you have the Joker. And then 92, when that comes out, Batman Returns. You have Penguin. You have Penguin and you have Captain. Mm-hmm. Very well. And don't forget Max Shrek. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Christopher Walken. And even by the time you get to 95, like they're already thinking like, okay, yeah, Riddler, Two-Face. You know, but these are characters that are established well enough already. And 97, Um, you got Mr. Freeze. Yeah. And Poison Ivy and Bane. But then you have Amity doing their own thing. And then, like, again, with Phantasm, like, let's just do a whole new villain. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only <laughs> the only traditional Batman villain in Phantasm is Joker. Yeah. The only one of Batman's regular rogues in that movie is Joker. But, um, you know, talking about the, the different villains in the movies, in the, in the various movies. So, of course, Batman and Robin had Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze. 
who is, you know, the animated series completely revamped Mr. Freeze's backstory. Oh, yeah. In the comics, up until that point, up until he was introduced in the animated series, up until the episode Heart of Ice. Fantastic episode. One of the best. One of the best episodes of the series. But uh, up until that episode, Mr. Freeze was just a run-of-the-mill, cold-themed villain. Yeah. But the animated series episode of Heart of Ice, it gave him a backstory. It created the the whole Mr. Freeze is avenging what happened to his wife. You know, that his wife had a disease, so he cryogenically froze her until he could develop a cure. And then was fired. You know, he worked for he worked for Wynn Enterprises and his boss, not not Bruce, but his immediate boss fired him before he could come up with a cure for his wife. And so she's been stuck in this cryogenic freezing chamber and he's just trying to save her. Yeah. <laughs> you know, his villainy stems from wanting to save his wife. And that was never around in the comics before the animated nope. series. It wasn't. And ever since the animated series, that's been Mr. Freeze's backstory. He's been trying to save his wife, Nora. And that's a huge part of Batman and Robin. It is, yeah. You know, whether you like that movie or not. Whether you like it or not. At least, you know, at least it's, it's played into yeah. it, like you said. There's at least redeeming qualities of all of them. Yes, as cheesy and as some of them may be. Bat credit card, good through forever. <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly, like, we'll, we'll get it, you know, or, we'll wrap up soon with the rest of yeah. Phantasm. Because we won't do Batman forever, but I I actually thought Val Kilmer was a good Bruce Wayne. I did too. I did too. I, I I think he was better as Bruce Wayne than Batman. I thought he was a good Bruce Wayne. And it's funny we're talking about how there's different love interest with Bruce Wayne as opposed to Superman, where it's always Lois Lane. That's one of the funny things about the kind of you know yeah the Burton ones and the Schumacher ones, right? Yeah, and they're technically all the same universe, right? Technically, uh, although I've read some theories to where the Schumacher ones were actually movies within the Burton universe. So it's basically people learned about Batman and the Burton universe made, and then made Batman movies based off of him. Okay. And that's what the Schumacher ones are. But then also, you know, there's evidence showing that the Schumacher ones are a continuation of the Burton ones. One of the main throughputs is it's the same actor playing Alfred. Yeah. Right. Kind of like Q is, in all the Bond movies. We have uh, With Desmond Llewellyn playing Q in most of the Bond movies up until Kim he Basinger. died. Up until the Kim Basinger died. was in the first Batman. Mm-hmm. And she was really good in that. She's a great part of it. <laughs> and obviously she's not in Batman Returns. And we had the usual tense sexual chemistry between Batman and Catwoman. Who, like, Michelle Pfeiffer, holy hell. Like, we yeah. all have to do it. But she was. Yeah. Oof, Michelle Pfeiffer was. was she 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 played that role performance yes if you take three she was amazing as the top three best performances in a kind of superhero comic book movie she'd be one of the top three performances yeah uh, yeah she's fantastic she she owned that role we'll definitely do returns yeah we'll get more of that yeah we're in in case you guys haven't noticed we're huge fans of batman yeah. And so we're going to be doing a bunch of Batman movies. <laughs> <laughs> and then and forever, you know, Val Kilmer, like his love interest is Nicole Kidman. And nothing against Nicole Kidman, but, you know, it's just, it's not as strong. Yeah. But it's, again, it shows that you have varying love interest within Batman's world, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Andrea, again, like, she works really well. Like, yeah, she does. Of, like, She's. Danny Delaney plays her so well in here. I mean, in, in a way that you, 
she's only in this movie. Yeah. In the equivalent of three episodes of the series, she's only in this movie, and she leaves such a huge mark. And she on Lisa, Bruce she on the series, mark, and he believes she's absolutely part of the entire universe of the series. Yeah, her hers and Bruce's interactions in the flashbacks, and even in the present day parts of the movie, it really shows. Like it portrays a world where you could see Bruce struggling to uphold his promise to his parents. You can definitely see how she could be the reason that he would contemplate giving up on his mission to avenge their deaths. And it also it also shows that she plays it in a way that, you know, she she's in a similar situation to Bruce. I mean, sure. Her her dad didn't wasn't killed when she was as young as Bruce was when his mom died when she was young. Her mom died when she was young, but her dad was. Yes, was murdered more or less in front of her, but she was an adult by then. Yeah. But it shows that they're kind of two sides of the same coin. No, absolutely. Whereas Bruce, Batman, won't let himself cross that line. No, right. And, you know, Alfred he'll stride that line. He'll walk that line right up to the edge, mm-hmm. but he will not step over that line. And she does. And Dan Delaney plays it in a way that it shows what would happen if Batman did cross the line. It does. And I like how they play it with, especially like her and like Joker, right? Because they, they go back to the world tomorrow, right? It's where the climax of it is. And, he, you know, obviously like, you know, Joker is also responsible for everything. And certain Batmans, Joker is also responsible for Bruce's situation, right? Yeah. But within this universe, no, he's not. And the Joker is something that's really unhinged and chaotic. Yeah, which much e- actually almost be even easier for just, you know, in some ways for Batman just dispatch Joker because of the chaos and say, like, this needs to stop. Yeah, which, right? which is interesting because Batman, the animated series, takes so much from the Burton Batman. Oh, yeah. No, totally. It takes so much from the Burton Batman, but it does not take that. It doesn't take that. Spoiler alert for the 89 Batman. It doesn't take that Joker is the one that killed Bruce's parents. Right. It changes that. Really, that's that's really only in that movie that, that Joker is the one that killed them. But yeah, it, it with as much as it borrows from the Burton Batman. The it, entire gothic feel of it. It doesn't I, I like it doesn't take that. It 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 has it being just some random street thug that kills Bruce's parents. That it's that it's never revealed in uh, the animated series, but in the comics it's eventually revealed to be Joe Chill. Which, I mean, Joe Schill's in the, the Nolan movies, but again, he's just, like you said, Brandon Street Thug is more of a victim of circumstance. Yeah. And you could betray it in certain ways, and like, in some ways, like, yeah, Batman would be far more willing to put an end to, you know, by the time you get to that point in the Nolan movies, Bruce is much more in control of himself to be able to <laughs> say, like, yeah, I'm not going to kill this chaotic agent, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, early in the movie, you know, like, when they want him to kill, yeah, we're not going to go too deep into it, like, in his training. They kill be like, yeah, but, like, he's just kind of a petty thief, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed like, to this This agent. man should stand trial. He should not be murdered. Yeah. You know? As opposed to Joker by that time, like, he's this agent of chaos and has killed multiple people. Yeah. And, you know, it even goes but, back, you know, back to uh, Mask of the Phantasm, where Andrea tracks Joker to his hideout which is in the city of tomorrow yeah, section and, of the world's fair. And, yeah, and, and so they again, have a little is, scuffle. 
you know, he the way he, they do this also, I think it can only be done within an animated movie. Yes. Yeah. I mean, she has her has her smoke and he has his acid flower. He sprays acid at her, gets on her knife glove and forces her to drop her main weapon before the acid eats through to her hand. And, you know, they get in a fight and Batman comes in and Batman and Joker fight. I thought it was a very nice touch that Batman knocked out one of Joker's teeth. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, you know, so for the rest of the movie, Joker was missing a tooth. But yeah. So at the end of their fight, though, you know, Joker, it just revealed that Joker's rigged the entire place to blow up. Yep. And so he just because he he's he figures it's the best way to kill everybody. So Batman trying to trying to rescue the Joker because Batman refuses to kill. Andrea grabs the Joker and as everything starts blowing up. Clouds the two of them in smoke and doesn't let Batman near them. So, you know, Batman escapes into the spillway. It's washed out to the river, but it's implied that Andrea died there with Joker. Right. No, that's heavily what they were. Like, you kind of wonder, like, oh, wow, how like Batman was able to get down the sewer deep enough not to be completely consumed by fire from the explosions. Yeah, I mean, Andrea and Joker are, uh, you know, completely engulfed in smoke and they disappear. So yes. it's, you know, hinted that they might have survived. But from Batman's point of view, it looks like they died in the explosion. Right. And, you know, and they... that's where, you know, Batman wasn't willing to kill the Joker as evil as he is. But Andrea didn't hesitate. And it's uh, though it's never revealed in the movie what ultimately happened to Joker. You know, he wasn't killed because he shows up later in the series. Yeah. <laughs> he shows up several times later in the animated series. And with this being an official part of the animated series, he definitely survived. And, you know, the scene after that in the Batcave with mm -hmm. Batman and Alfred in there, again, showing how well Alfred is portrayed in the show. Yeah, no, I, I think it's so fantastic. You know, he's he's there. He's comforting Bruce because he just lost the love of his life. Lost the love of his life. And he, he, you know, he realizes in several ways. He's, he's thinking about, oh, what could have been ten years ago, and now he, and now what actually you know, what what actually happened, ha and how happened. Like the the difference potential of yeah. maybe something else could be different if they could get beyond this circumstance that was happening. Yeah, but at the same time, Batman can't bring himself to get past that circumstance. But he can't get past that. Like even if he. Does like she not, was able to walk away, and they were to bring Joker back to Arkham. Yeah. But Batman, and, you know, I think he knows it within himself that he's gone too deep within who he is. Yeah, that that he can't he condone even, what she did. At that point, like she, he also sees that she's also too deep where she is. So that that's that further reminder of that. And then there's just even this further blame, though, that I think even if he knows, even that he knows that there's no way they could be together. That he's he's thinking she's dead. That he couldn't have saved her enough to bring her back a little bit to where she could have just walked away like that from that circumstance. Yeah, but, but she was too deep within to where she was. Yeah, but then in the middle of this morning, you know, he sees a a glimmer in the distance in the Batcave yes. and goes up to it. Yeah, and, well done. and it's the locket that she had with the picture of the two of them in it, and he didn't put it there. Alfred nope. didn't put it there. So that gives him confirmation that she survived the explosion because she's the only one that could have put it there. And, you know, we, we get as viewers, we get further confirmation that she's, she survived because then there's a boat and a guy walks out of the party on the boat wearing one of those paper crowns. 
<laughs> and sees a woman standing over by the rail, looking overboard, yep. looking looking off in the, in the horizon. And he walks up to her, and it turns out it's Andrea. And, you know, and so it, we, we know that she survived, but there's still no mention of Joker, nope. of what happened to him. So, Which you know. again, like, obviously, if you keep watching the series, you know, he survived. Yeah. But if you completely just book into this. And if this is all you watch of the series. Watched, you'd be like, it would still be a really good ending because like, oh, yeah. You're like, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it's a cliffhanger type ending. That's not a nuisance. Like something like, oh yeah, yeah that's just yeah. like why are you leaving me hanging like that. But no, it's like no, it just leads you to speculate what happened. No, okay, he survived or not survived. What actually happened? It's you know wraps up well enough that allows it. Yeah, even if the viewer didn't have that exact answer, I think everything would have been wrapped nicely enough. To be like, okay, I'm okay not knowing everything. And you know because it is part of a series, you do get fuller answers on all of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's, yeah. And that, that, that's the ending we get to the movie. It's, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's it Batman. Like, no. Batman, so he's, he just kind of has this hope, you know, just like, okay. You know, it's, again, it's funny because, like, a lot of the Batman movies you get, there's this greater threat to all of Gotham, right? Yeah. This one's just so much more deeply personal. Yeah. And, right? and, and, and again, this is a movie that was made as part of a children's cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it, yeah. <laughs> it makes me think in a way, like, it's funny, like, you know, and like, he knows what they were done. I don't know. But, you know, it's dark. And you should think of, like, I think about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, right? Like, the comics themselves are kind of dark. Oh, yeah. And they very. Made, then they made this nice, fun TV series out of them. And then they made a live-action movie. And the first live-action movie is really dark. Yes. It followed the comics. Not so much the TV I mean, show, but it followed the comics. Do, but like, the second no. and third movies follow the show more. But the first one, The yes. main villain gets dropped into a garbage truck and crushed. Yes. <laughs> Not to mention this kidnappings and yeah, kidnappings, <laughs> children forced to work for the bad guys. There's yeah, themes of child slavery, which is also in Temple of Doom. Yes, which is another movie we'll get to. But it's portrayed a lot differently in Temple of Doom than this. <laughs> yeah, Ninja Turtles. Yes, but like I guess it's the movie I can kind of think of in a way that's kind of coming off an animated series and it's really dark. Yes, although really, I mean. Yeah, Master of the Phantasm is a little bit darker than than the majority of of the show, but yes. it doesn't take it overboard. No, it doesn't. It, it fits. It fits completely fits. with the themes of the show. Yeah, and it it fits completely with the feel of the show. But the, I mean, they can get away with it being a little bit darker because it's a movie. Yeah, but still, as dark as it gets, it's not too much for a kid to handle. No, not at all. And it's one of those things that when you watch it as an adult, you pick up on things you didn't catch when you were a kid. And you can appreciate it that much more. Yeah. It's funny, like, you know, actually, you know, I, I was trying to think, like, when's the last time I watched it? I can't, I can't remember the last time I actually watched it. And I, yeah, I mean, it was a lot of fun to watch it. <laughs> I, I watched it maybe a month and a half or so ago. And then I watched it again today for the podcast. But before that, it had been a couple of years since I'd watched it. It had been probably three or four years. 
again, like we said, uh, it's and not long. before that, it's, it was probably five or six years. What you know, like I said, seventy-eight minutes. But you know that you know, really, it's probably more like seventy-four minutes. And, yeah. Well, so know. seventy-seven minutes total, and then but there's a there's about three or four minutes of credits there. Yeah. So I mean, you're barely over an hour and ten minutes. Yeah. Like that's that's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that's an easy thing to just uh, get through pretty quickly. Yeah. I mean, it's an easy watch. It's a quick, easy watch, but mm-hmm. it is such. No, a... and the, the pacing, it's like, you know, there's, yeah. there's nothing, there's no dead time. They pace it well enough. Yeah. And, and it's just so engaging. Yeah. No, they, they, they cut it all together. Like, you know, especially because there is a lot of cuts back and forth between time periods. Yeah. Now, did you, yeah, the, did you watch it with Charles? I did not. Uh, I want to get a little bit deeper into the series first before okay. we get into it. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, because he's seen about uh, about eight episodes. Okay. <laughs> it's funny. He's like, trying to get through that, and Clone Wars also. Yeah. So, it's catching up on Mandalorian also, because I haven't seen anything yet in season three. Oh, it's good so far. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping to, to get them caught up on season Get up to season three before it uh, came out, but yeah. it didn't happen. Well, <laughs> it's not going anywhere, so yeah, you'll so be able to I, catch I, up I on it. I can avoid spoilers enough easily. Yeah, <laughs> but we're, we're in the middle of season two, and yeah, okay. we we just watched we just watched the um, the passenger, so we're you know okay. we're early on. Yeah, so, okay, which... <laughs> yeah. So you're on that was episode two. Yeah, episode of season two. three or which season th- two. I know, like it's kind of filler. I think it's really fun because yeah. you get the New Republic fighters, and like you get like a classic Star Wars planet mm-hmm. with like scary creatures. You know, it's it's not as good as like the premiere. No, where you know they're all fighting a crate dragon. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was great. That's a, <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> but but yeah. Anyway, not to not to spoil. Mandalorian for people, but if, if you're if you're a fan of Star Wars, watch the Mandalorian. Even if you're yeah. not a fan of Star Wars, watch the Mandalorian. Just, just watch it will Mandalorian. make you a fan of Star Wars. Holly <laughs> Fong. Oh my! I was, I was thinking about him again, like and I was like, he's just so good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's great. And I was thinking, like, oh yeah, I wanted to just like kick him in the balls and put it free and die hard. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and you yeah. love him. In uh, Mandalorian, but uh, but that's Mask of the Phantasm. And, yes, that's uh, yeah. That's, if you if you can't tell, like it, yeah, like once we get into Batman, Star Wars, geeking out a lot of different things. Yes, um, <laughs> yeah. So that that's that's Mask of the Phantasm, folks. Which interesting yeah, my, enough, like it's funny, like the Killing Joke actually got re-released in the theaters for like a few weeks. After, you know, several years after it came out, right? So it was like you know, like one of the you know, it was like. Uh, they never did an actual animated Batman movie that was released to theaters before Master of Phantasm. No, they didn't. And then, yeah, the, the short re-release of Killing Joke. Mm-hmm. Which, again, was oh. it, it was uh, Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill both returning to the roles. Which is even, even darker. Mm, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Killing Joke, the animated movie, of course, based off of the comic. Yeah, very dark story. And you know, bet, bet very good story, a very dark story, um, which well, is probably you know, the, the most the most of a uh, Joker origin story that you're ever really going to officially get from the comics. 
Yeah, uh, yeah I even like Snyder's run, which is just fantastic. Yes, uh, Scott Snyder, not Zack Snyder. Scott Snyder's yeah. run. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I'll, you know, if you're listening, I don't know if any really comics. No, they. I have no idea where you are within any of that, but uh, highly recommend both Grant Morrison and Scott Snyder if you want to read yeah. stuff of Batman in the last twenty years. Both of them are fantastic. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the other person I would actually recommend, I would think that uh, would have been around the time of the animated series, is Doug Mitch. Yes, Munch. His aesthetic is very similar to what you see in the animated series, and it's yes. around the same time period. His is almost even more grotesque in the way things are portrayed. But he gets deeper into a lot of the side characters, not just the rogues. Yeah. Which you see within this whole, you don't get all of it within Mask of the Phantasm, but like, especially characters like Bullock and Gordon, he dives deeper into them than his run. So yeah, if you've if, if never read any of the comics, those would be three I would recommend to look at. Um, obviously, like Frank Miller has this stuff too, like, uh, especially like, Year one and Dark Knight Returns. Yes, and also <laughs> if you if you want a a good series about the Gotham Police, there's this, a series just called GCPD yeah. that follows the Gotham PD. Batman is very much a side character, more more really just mentioned in it. He may make one or two appearances in it, but it's it's really about the GCPD and their everyday operations. Uh, another great one that has a little bit more Batman in it than than GCPD, but is still heavily in GCPD. That realm is uh, Gordon of Gotham. Yeah, where it re- really it follows Commissioner Gordon. But excellent, excellent comic series. Yeah, there's a lot. Of good, there's a lot of good that's out there. Um, if you never read any of the Batman comics, and I'm only saying that because like the series and the movie definitely take heavily off of it. Yeah, so it's worth getting into. And, um, yeah, and again, I should say Frank Miller, like, especially like year one, he's one of the persons who really gets into Gordon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, year one is, is just as much Gordon's story as it is Batman's. Yeah. Which is, you know, that's the series is prior to the animated series. But I mean, if you, if you look at the Burton universe, you know, Gordon is very minor compared to what you see with that. And then when you see like the Nolan movies, like Gary Oldman, holy. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gary Oldman, Gary Oldman was outstanding as Commissioner he's Gordon. He's usually the craziest dude alive, and he's just completely normal policeman. Mm-hmm. Such a good uh, actor. Anyway, but, yeah, uh, you know, you know, Gordon's a little bit more minor in the movie in Phantasm, but he's a heavy part of TV series. If you yes. haven't seen the TV series, yes, the TV series really plays into Gordon and Batman's relationship. And again, it gets back into the, the detective aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah, but that's, anyway, yeah. sorry. Yeah, we keep going. We keep going. Yeah, we like, keep going. We could go on. on but on, yeah, on that, we, we yeah we could go on for forever on this on this. Uh, yeah, like like you said before, we're both huge huge Batman fans, and we could yeah we could talk forever about Batman. But I mean, if you want to, like, you can go on about you know the Adam West TV series. Yes, but yeah, podcast episodes need to end sometime. So. <laughs> We may we we will be talking plenty more about Batman in future episodes, the various Batman movies and uh, different portrayals of Batman, and I'm sure we'll even throw in some more comic stuff. And anyway, um, that is Batman: Mask of the Phantasm. And next time we're gonna do something a little bit different. We're gonna watch a movie that neither one of us has seen before. It's gonna be something brand new to both of us, but uh, we have uh, been hearing great things about it. We're gonna be watching everything everywhere all at once. 
that was appropriate, right? Like it gets into like the multiverse itself. Yeah, it does. And we're talking about multiverses within Batman. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's very fitting. Yeah, I didn't think about that earlier either. But yeah, so it's it's very fitting. So but, yeah, that, uh, that's uh, that's what we'll do. So you'll you'll get our initial reactions to it after our first uh, after both of our first viewings of it. So yeah, tune in uh, next time for for everything everywhere all at once. So uh, we will see you then. Bye.